last week, uh, Rick kicked off, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're reading a passage from Colossians at the end of every gathering, and we're reading it as a benediction over you all. And for the last week, Rick kicked off kind of a mini series where we're going over and we're analyzing this benediction. And so uh, what I'm going to do this morning is I want to read the whole passage again. And it's Colossians chapter one, starting in verse nine. And then today we're actually going to look at the middle part of it. Kind of like if you think about uh, a sandwich, we're going to we're going to be in the meat of the sandwich today. So this is this is a really juicy part. And I can say that because Rick's teaching next week and <laughs> he's not here to defend himself. OK, uh, I'm going to start reading. This is Colossians chapter one, verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you even for your presence with us. Whether we're watching through a screen or we're here in the room, we know that you are with us. God with us. We ask, Lord, that this would be a space where we can shed what happened during this week. We can lay things down and we can just talk to you, our King. We can learn, we can grow. Help us, Lord, as we, as we rightly divide this word. Help us to see what you're speaking to each one of us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Last week, uh, when Rick was preaching, he focused on verses 9 through 10a, and, which is a verse and a half. And that's all I'm going to cover this week is a verse and a half. We're going to cover the rest of verse 10 and into verse 11. But I want to remind you of what Rick spoke on last week. So I'm just going to read the first verse and a half. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the focus of this passage is, uh, it's kind of twofold. One is that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that we would know what God's will is and that we would be filled with that knowledge. And then the second is that that knowledge would then help us walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. Do you guys want to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord? I had a, a, a year when I was like, I don't know why this sticks out to me, but when I was like 16, I had this like, this idea of, I really want to put a smile on God's face today. Like, and in fact, I kind of want to do this for a year. And I don't know what inspired that or where it came from, but for whatever reason, here I am, you know, 24, not 24 years later, 14 years later, and I still remember that year being significant of just walking through and being like, I, I wonder if this is putting a smile on God's face today. 
just kind of like, and I don't know what it was about it. Maybe it's the, maybe it's kind of like a, a personification of me as a 16 year old with God being, you know, a, a deity in my head who's somehow like this old man in the sky with a beard glowering down or something like that. But it just kind of making it real, like personal, like, I wonder if what I'm doing, like if Jesus was here with me, cause he is, what if what I was doing would really put a smile on his face? And that isn't just like a, hey, don't do bad stuff, but that's actually kind of like a really positive forward motion thing. Like, oh, hey, you were really kind to your sister just now. That's awesome. You know, or like, oh, wow, you, you, whatever. Like just doing things to please the Lord. And that's what Rick talked on last week. May you be filled with the knowledge of God. And if you know the person, you know someone really well, you know it puts a smile on their face, right? So I, I, uh, am, I just finished, well, I'm not done with my class work. But I just two days ago finished my final class for seminary in in class person time. And it was very significant and it was wonderful. And there was a guy that I had started seminary with and he was in the classroom with me. And at the end, he gave me a big hug and there's tears in his eyes. And we just hugged it out like, man, we've come through a journey together. This has been wonderful. And throughout the final class, I did lots of things to try and put a smile on his face because I knew him really well. He's one of the few people in the world that really enjoy my puns. And so uh, I, I, I dropped a couple of puns in the middle of class just to put a big smile on his face. Um, and, that, and that's what's going on here. The more we have knowledge of God, the more we're able to walk in a way that's pleasing to him. Okay, so anyways, that was last week. Let's look at this week. So I'm going to start reading in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, some of your Bibles have a colon here. Some of your Bibles have a comma here. And this is what we're going to dive into today is what, what does it mean to walk in a manner fully pleasing to him? Because this is what Paul is going to spell out for us. So it says this, walk in a manner fully pleasing to him, colon or comma. Here we go. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. Pause. Whew, that's a lot of big words <laughs> all together. So to kind of like make it simple for us, there's, there's a lot of like uh, modifying language that describes what's going on, okay? So I want to just break it down into three simple things. So the first is he wants us to bear fruit in every good work. And remember, this is Paul's prayer for the Colossians. This is why we're reading it at the end of every gathering while we're in the Colossians series. If you're going to sum up Paul's goal and heart for the Colossians by writing this letter, you're going to find it in these verses. That makes sense? Verse 9 all the way through uh, to verse 14. So we're, gonna, we're spending this time to really look what is Paul's heart for the Colossian church and what is our heart then for this family and this body, this church. Okay, so the three things. In this passage, this is what it means to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. Number one, bear fruit in every good work. Number two, increase in the knowledge of God. And number three, be strengthened with power. Now, this strengthening with power has a lot of words around it, okay? And so we're going to leave that for the end. And if you look, the, the structure of the sentence is the first two are paired. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we're going to focus on that phrase by itself for the first part of the sermon, and then for the second part, we're going to look at the final phrase. Everyone with me? Okay. Bear fruit. Now, the question I have is, why are good works so important to God? 
If you just, if you just look up this word for works in Greek, it is used constantly throughout the epistles. Constantly. Now, I know we're, we can be a little gun-shy when it comes to good works, because we're like, I'm not saved by works, and I'm not saying you are saved by works. Works are something that we do because of the relationship we have with Jesus. This is something that we're called into specifically. Does that make sense? Uh, and none of the times is it used, does anywhere say you're saved by works? It never says that. In fact, over and over and over and over again, it says you are not saved by works. But then we have passages like in Titus 2, where he says, Jesus died to purify himself, a people for himself who are zealous for good works. Or you have Ephesians 2.10. You are the poema, the poem of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created to do good works. And here, as we're in the meat of this passage, of what does it mean to walk in a manner pleasing to God, it's bearing fruit in every good work. So the question is, why is this so important to God? And I'm going to look at a passage in Genesis 18, 19. You can turn there if you'd like. Um, and this is, to, to me, to understand where I am in the story, it's really helpful for me to understand the whole story, to understand from beginning to end where, what's happened, what are be, what's been the meta-narrative, where are things going? And then I find my place in the story and I go, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do because I understand the story I'm in. So from the beginning, God has been crafting for himself a people. The world today does not make sense to me outside of a conflict between a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. That's, that's the grid that I run the world through. There's two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And actually, Rick is going to cover that next week because it's in the very next verse. But, so if we're running it through that grid and there's these two kingdoms that are in conflict, and by the way, this is like the oldest literary motif in history, right? Dark versus light. Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, whatever it is, Sauron, Frodo. I mean, these are like, we all get it and we all resonate with these stories because it makes sense of the world around us. Good guys, bad guys, superheroes, supervillains. We get it. But the reality is this is actually our reality. This is the world we live in. There has been conflict in the cosmic realm from the beginning of time. This is it. And so we step into the story as partners with God in this conflict. Okay? And so what God is doing is he's making for himself a people uh, Genesis 18, 19. This is God talking about Abraham. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. I love this passage. And part of the reason I love this passage is because of the Hebrew words that are being used. So one of them is to keep the way of Yahweh. That word keep it's the same Hebrew word that was used in Genesis 2 for Adam to keep and work the garden. It's the same word. And so we get to do that. We get to participate in keeping the way of the Lord. Just like Adam was created to work and to keep the garden. This is how we carry on. This is, so when what happens is we have, oh, my, my collar's popped. I had no idea. I'm looking up here like a vampire. That's amazing. 
This is what happens when you don't bring your wife to church with you. <laughs> okay. Um, here in Abraham, we have a continuation of Eden. We have God partnering with man to bring his way, his law, his order into the world. Okay? And so he says, what, what is the way of Yahweh? Let me read it. Keep the way of the Lord. How? By doing righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Now, we don't have time to do an entire tour of the Old Testament, but you'll see these two terms pop up, righteousness and justice, tzedakah and mishpat. You'll see them jump up over and over and over and over again. And the best kind of definition I have for doing righteousness and justice is it's a community full of right relationship with everything around them. So righteousness is I am in right relationship with my God. Okay? One relationship. I'm in right relationship with my family. I'm in right relationship with my friends. I'm in right relationship with my community. I'm in right relationship with the land I'm in. I'm in right relationship with the foreigner and the stranger. And justice, that there is true shalom, that peace, not the absence of conflict, but things are operating the way they are meant to be. And I think all of us are born into a world that we see as broken and dark, and we have an ache inside of us that's crying out that things ought to be different. And we know this is not how it's meant to be. And we keep seeing it pop up again and again and again, and something stirs in our hearts, and we go, this is not how it's meant to be. And the thing is, that's right. It's not meant to be that way. We're in the middle of a conflict between two kingdoms. And so what do we do? We participate, we build, we join a community that's in right relationship with each other and with our God and with the world around us. And guitars on the stage that I'm whacking with my hand. I'm sorry, Ian. We're in right relationship. And that drives us forward. That's keeping the way of Yahweh, tzedakah and mishpat, righteousness and justice. That's us doing it. So we see from the beginning, and remember, it's the same word, keep. Keep the way of the Lord. And he says to Adam, work and keep the garden. This has been the plan from the beginning. And so we come all the way here to Colossians. And what does it mean to walk in? Oh yeah, the a way, the pathway that's pleasing to the Lord, just like we have a pathway here in Genesis 18. There's a path, there's a way we walk, there's a way we live that's pleasing to Yahweh. And this is how we do it. So we do it, number one, by bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I love it. I love it. So I want to point to three ways that we can bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. And there's a reason why I'm pairing these two things together, because they're deeply, intimately related. When we are increasing in our knowledge of God, our good works are paired right along with that. And we're going to look at a few different passages uh, to see that. But I want to point to three ways that you and I, as family members, as participants, of this community of God here at Colossae Sherwood that we participate in keeping in the way of the Lord. So number one is corporate gatherings. So this is what we're doing right now. Whether you're gathered with us digitally or you're here in the room, this is a part of it. We gather together. Number two is through discipleship. 
we, we do things outside of this gathering. This isn't all of church. This is a piece of church. Actually, this isn't even really church. This is the gathering of the church. You are the church. Whether you're watching on a screen or you're here in person, you are the church. Okay? All right, so we've got corporate gathering, we've got discipleship, and then we have your personal walk with Jesus. So if you think about concentric circles, the biggest one is kind of like corporate, right? The gathering, the people, the community, doing tzedakah and mishpat together, righteousness and justice together. And then you dive in a little bit closer and you go discipleship. This is happening in our communities. This is happening in our book studies. This is happening in our Bible studies, in our youth group, or in our one-on-ones, coffee meetings, whatever. This, we're kind of inching in. And then finally, the small circle, this is you and Jesus. Now, I think for a long time, American Christianity has been focused on this circle, just the you and Jesus part, which is a good circle. It's a great circle, and it's an important circle, but it's not the only circle for keeping the way of the Lord. Everyone with me? Okay, so I want to look through each of these three things and tie them to three other passages to help us understand how we can do these things well in order to increase in our knowledge of God and bear fruit in every good work. Okay, let's go. Hebrews 10, 24. Hebrews 10, 24. I'm going to start reading. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What we're doing as we are gathering together, what's happening is we're encouraging one another. It is impossible to quantify the level of encouragement that we get by gathering together, even gathering on Zoom for all these last months. I have so many friends that have seen such massive drop-offs in attendance in their churches because they're, they're streaming and they're just the numbers keep going down and down and down. Our numbers are almost identical to when we started. We're doing it on Zoom. We're gathering together. We're having a conversation. How do you quantify that? It's impossible. We're encouraging one another. And in that encouragement, what are we encouraged to do? Let's look at the, oh, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We cannot, we must not ever give up gathering together. This is beautiful. Even just lifting our voices together, being united in melody and lyric, praising our King. So important. It's so powerful. It's so meaningful. And we get to do that every single week. It's amazing. So if there are three ways that you and I can participate in increasing in the knowledge of God and bearing fruit in our good works, it's this. It's this. A corporate gathering, weekly gathering. It's so important. Similarly, as many friends as I have that are pastors that are seeing massive drop-offs in attendance digitally, I'm also seeing lots of friends of mine that are not, that are floating Christians right now. They're not gathering. And it's affecting their souls. It's affecting them deeply. And my heart, the cry of my heart is for them to join. It doesn't have to be here. Not at all. Anywhere. Be encouraged. Go. What does it say? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
When we come, or when I come on a Sunday, often I show up with a very selfish attitude. This is just me confessing. Like, I want to hear something from Jesus today. That's why I'm here. Hello, Bill, how are you? <laughs> As opposed to, man, I get to show up and I get to encourage people today. I get to, I, maybe, maybe my presence, maybe a conversation I get to have with someone Maybe it's in a small group after Zoom. Maybe that conversation is going to spur them towards a good deed this week that they were created for, that they were created to do. That's an amazing gift that you all bring to the family of God. Okay, enough about the corporate gathering. I'm excited about it. Let's talk about discipleship. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Oh, hold on. I've got two Titus. Good Lord. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, I think it's 2 Timothy 3. Yep. Yep, 2 Timothy 3. Okay. So, you'll have to pardon some of these faux pas. I was in class from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. listening to lecture from Monday through Friday this week. It was a long week. And then I was trying to do this job, my real job, in the evenings until midnight most nights. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> there's a couple of drop balls. Every, I, I looked at the beginning of the week and I said to my wife, I was like, I think there's going to be some drop balls this week. And then I watched them happen. I had a Bible study with Micah this week on Monday. I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I was not there. I got a text like an hour later like, were you going to come at all? <laughs> I was like, apparently not. Yeah, sorry about that, Micah. Yeah, it's almost over. Yeah, exactly. Almost over. Um, okay. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Oh, it's important. Okay. Now, what I want to do with this passage in talking about discipleship is let's, let's look at what Scripture is useful for. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I would argue the main thing that happens on a Sunday with me up here at a microphone is the first one is teaching. Very rarely am I calling out Gabe Harris for the sin in his life. <laughs> rarely. I might do it. I don't know. I'm not, not committing myself one way or another. <laughs> right? We've got, and then we've got training in righteousness. You have correction. You have reproof, rebuke. Those are things that don't happen generally from the stage on a Sunday. Not that it's impossible to, but that's not, the, that's not what we're doing on a Sunday. This passage pushes us. That, this, that a sermon once a week is not enough. It's, this is not the sum total of church. This, this is a peace that gathers us together and unites us and gets us on the same page and gives us vision and direction and momentum to go and do and be the people of Yahweh. It's beautiful, but it's not enough. This is why we have community groups. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we have youth group. This is why we have book studies. 
so that we can press into this further. Because let me tell you, just showing up on a Sunday, who, who's the best person to receive rebuke or, for, or correction from? It's a good friend. It's a good friend. And Jesus, that's true. Jesus is my friend, Kevin. I don't know about you, man. I'm just <laughs> it's, it's so hard to be, if, if you're just showing up on a Sunday, whether that be digitally or whether that be in person, you're not in a community that is close enough to you to rebuke you. And let me tell you, I need rebuking. I need community in my life. I need people that are close to me that'll pull me aside and say, hey, Daniel, I saw, I saw how you spoke to Jill the other night, and I don't, think, I don't think that's okay. I think you need to talk about that. I think you need to think about that. The scariest person to me is the leader who's not in community, who doesn't have people in his life or her life to speak wisdom and knowledge to. That's scary. We all need that. And if you're not participating in that, whether here or elsewhere, you're missing out on a massive piece of God's heart for you for growing in love. And what is this all for again? For training in righteousness that the man, I'm going to add in, or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you were, if you were, created, which you were, for good works, and you're not having this in your life, then you're walking out to do what you were created to do without the equipment to get it done. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I mean, I, like, seriously, think about, like, SEAL Team 6 going out without their equipment. That's us. We're in God's kingdom, advancing God's work in a broken and dark world, fighting against the kingdom of darkness. You and I have been given a mission. I know it's really comfortable in this country. I know there's lots of luxury and lots of things that can grab our attention that'll pull us away and help us forget that we're on the front lines. That God created you to go do something. And if you're not participating in this second concentric circle, you're missing out in a big way. Everyone with me? Okay, let's go in just a little tighter. Let's talk about the personal walk with Jesus. Go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 1 with me. Okay, I'm going to start reading. This is one of my all-time favorite passages, by the way. This is, it's money. This is the kickoff. You know, you know what you're about to watch? I'm going to watch some football, hopefully, later tonight. The Seahawks are playing. Oh, booyah, baby. Okay, what's an exciting part of the game? Kickoff. Everyone's there. Everyone's ready. Whoa! This is the kickoff for the book of Psalms. The, the book, book of Psalms. How many times has your soul been crying out to God and you turn to this book? This is the kickoff passage. Here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And on his law, he meditates day and night. 
He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are two pathways that we're examining here. The way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, which makes sense of the world if we have two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. We have the wicked and the righteous. And the first, the opening salvo, blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the person who doesn't stand, sit, walk like a sinner who doesn't follow that pathway, okay? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. I, like, could there be a more perfect word to describe the goal of our relationship with the law? Delight. Delighting in the Bible delighting in the Holy Scriptures. Miriam, uh, who's seven months old now, is hitting the point where she is really delighting in seeing her dad. And it is a good day for me. (laughs) It is so awesome. Because I pop around the corner, and, you know, and Jill's holding her or whatever, and I see her eyes, and she just goes... I go, yeah, that's right. Who's your dad, yeah? You know? And I tickle her, and she goes, <laughs> you know, and her shoulders shake like, baby, oh, it's amazing. What she's doing is she's delighting in me. It's joy. It's wonderful. It's such a far cry from, well, it's time to read my Bible, I suppose. <laughs> Blessed is the man or woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you know how much life is in this book? Do you know how much beauty and joy is in this book? It's not a chore. It's not a burden. It's a gift that we get to step into. And this isn't a guilt trip. This is an invitation to deeper relationship, to step in and delight in the law of the Lord day and night. Now, we're talking about bearing fruit in every good work. It's almost like God wrote the Bible. Let's keep reading. (laughs) Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Bears fruit in its season. It's like a tree, just planted by the water. There's no strain. There's no massive effort to get out and go and do good works. Fruit happens. I want to I make a shirt that just says fruit happens. <laughs> I think it would sell really well. Fruit happens. When we're, just, when we're planted in the word, it happens. We don't have to go looking for it. We don't have to make a massive effort. Why? Because we're increasing in the knowledge of God. Remember we talked about how that's paired, where we're at in Colossians? Increase in the knowledge of God and produce fruit in every good work. That's the pairing. 
That's what goes on here in Psalm 1. This is the kickoff for the Psalms. Delighting and meditating on the word day and night. Day and night. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And this is what you and I get to do. And guess what? If we're that tree planted by the water, we're planted, do you know what that's going to do? That, that is going to pour over into that larger circle of discipleship. We're going to show up and we're going to be discipled and we're going we're to see God is going to use you to disciple other people too. And you get to the larger circle and suddenly it's no longer just about receiving, but then you show up and you're encouraging. It's a beautiful, holistic way that we approach being a community of Yahweh here in this present age. Part one. Turn back with me to Colossians chapter one because we're far from done. Okay, so we've got the first phrase down. I won't spend as long on the second phrase, I promise. I want to read here in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We see how those are tied together in three ways, in our corporate gatherings, in our discipleship gatherings, and in our personal walk with the Lord. Everyone with me? Okay. Now, next phrase. Uh, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Okay, so if we're gonna if we're gonna knock off all the all the the fluff of that passage, you can read it this way: May you be strengthened for endurance and patience. Okay, may you be strengthened for endurance and patience with joy. Question: Is anyone else feeling weary right now? This last week, I, <laughs> I'm so wiped right now. I'm just wiped. I don't have like extra gas in the tank right now. Both metaphorically and physically, my car is on empty. I need to go to the, <laughs> go to the gas station after church and fill it up. It's th- just feeling empty. When is it, what are the situations in life when we need endurance and patience? What are those situations? What? Always. Always. Yeah. Yeah. I normally feel I need endurance and patience when, have you guys ever like been somewhere and just been like tapping your fingers and being like, I need patience. I was doing that the other day. I think it's uh, Brian Regan has this great thing about like, the instructions on a Pop-Tart and how there's toaster instructions and microwave instructions. And he goes, if you don't have the time to toast a (laughs) Pop-Tart, maybe you need to reevaluate your life. (laughs) Oh, man. We need patience. We need endurance, particularly right now. When life is hard, when there's strain, Growing up, we had, my parents used this really helpful word where they talked about uh, margin in their lives and how, hey, you know, I feel like 
we've at, we're in a good place. We actually have some extra margin on the borders right now. You know, so when things come at us, it's not the end of the world. I feel like for a lot of the world, globally and nationally too, a lot of us are growing really th thin margins. Small things tip us over, right? This passage is full of hope. I'm going to read it. May you be strengthened with all power. Where's this power coming from? His glorious might. Man. For all endurance and patience with joy. I think this is the mark of the Spirit in our lives. A mark, a fruit of Spirit in our life. Joy. That when we're in a season where we need endurance and we need patience, we have the power from God to go do that and we get to do it with joy. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work for you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what we get to do. When life is hard, there was a bunch of you when I asked if you're weary right now. This is for you. You have the strength of God, the creator, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, empowering you to have endurance and to have patience and to do both with joy. And I'm not talking about like happy-go-lucky, just free like I'm feeling good. But in the midst of that, a deep-set joy based on a hope and, and a coming day when all things are made new. It's so, so good. Now, again, I want to push us towards relationship. This is, I, I, I want to I keep us away from doing things ritualistically just because we have to. I want to push us into relationship. We don't do good works because we have to any more than we do good works because we're trying to get into heaven. Jesus saved me. He saved me. Past tense. I'm in. I'm not doing anything to try and get into heaven. We do good works because we know who made us and we want to walk according to his path. And he created us to go do good works. To not do good works is to deny the relationship and deny our very purpose for existing. It doesn't make sense. I just helped Ian and Chelsea move like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, something like that. Let me tell you, I didn't do it for the reward of pizza. That, I don't know if you'll believe me, had zero bearing <laughs> on my decision to help you move. Why did I help Ian and Chelsea move? I love them. We're in relationship. It's because of the relationships that's there that spurred me on to go and do good works. That's how this works. This isn't a guilt trip saying, hey, you really should be doing more good works. This is an invitation to join Jesus in deep relationship. Does that make sense? 
to join him on what we were created for, what we were created to do. And this is why we're reading this passage from 9 to 14 at the end of every gathering, because this is our hope. Rick and I, as we pray for you, as we're pastoring you, as we're leading you and planning sermons, this is our hope for you, Colossae Sherwood. This is it. I want to read just this small passage again before we take the Lord's Supper. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Lord, we love you and we need you so desperately. I'm weary. We're weary. And we need your strength and your power to approach the day with patience and endurance with joy. Lord, as we continue to gather, both corporately and in discipleship groups, and even as we meet with you in the morning and the evening, delighting in your law, go before us, Lord, and show us the good works that you created us for, that you care so deeply about, because you care so deeply about this world, about the people in this world. Open our eyes, Lord, to the people around us that need you. Open our eyes, Jesus. May we be women and men on your mission in this world. We love you, Jesus, so very much.